2: We choose to go to the moon.
1: We choose to go to the moon.
0: Today is International Moon Day, and in the U.S., it's also Space Exploration Day, a commemoration created by President Reagan to mark the first crewed landing on the moon. Now, it's been 54 years since Apollo 11 landed on the moon, and although we haven't returned humans to the moon since 1972, it remains the goal of most spacefaring nations to get there again. It's exciting to be living in a second space race, isn't it? T-minus 20 seconds to LOS 04, the
1: the.
0: Today is July 20th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazes, and this is T-minus. <laughs> UK Space Agency outlines future activity for the next decade. Turkey and the UAE strike deals to include space cooperation. Planet IQ lands a $59 million NOAA contract. And our guest today is Robert Ayon, founder of Leviathan Space, on Ecuador's signing of the Artemis Accords. Stay with us. And now let's take a look at today's Intel briefing. The UK Space Agency, or UKSA, has released a space exploration technology roadmap outlining future activity and funding for the next decade. The objective of the 51-page document is to identify areas of existing strength and underdeveloped technologies to be used in future space exploration missions. It follows the first meeting of the newly reinstated National Space Council that was held on Wednesday. Now, the meeting saw ministers discuss space policy, including ambitions to become Europe's leading provider of small commercial launch by 2030. The new National Space Strategy in action was also announced during the meeting, and it outlines the UK space sector's progress since the launch of the National Space Strategy in 2021. All this as the United Kingdom plans to establish more regional space clusters— and a review of space regulations to boost effectiveness and innovation. UKSA says that this roadmap will act like a brochure for the future, helping to catalyze investment and provide the international space industry with a guide to UK capabilities and ambitions. It also outlines UK's plans for lunar exploration because, well, isn't that the theme for today? And specifically, it talks about the UK's plan for the Gateway, which they hope will be the base for lunar surface activity. The document also includes some robust ambitions for autonomous vehicles and AI, and the UKSA says it has received nearly £1 billion in investment in these areas from supporting agencies. Although this document lays out what the UK hopes to achieve over the next decade, the agency has said that it intends to publish supplementary roadmaps in the coming years. We look forward to seeing what's next. The United Arab Emirates and Turkey have signed several deals estimated to be worth a total of 50.7 billion US dollars during a visit by President Tayyip Erdogan to Abu Dhabi. According to state news agency WAM, the agreements included an extradition accord, energy and natural resources development, coordination on defense, and most notably for our show, space. Both nations have made incredible progress with their space programs in the recent years, and it'll be interesting to see who they select to launch their assets to space in the coming years. And while most of us were sleeping, at least in the Western world anyway, there was a flurry of launches in the early hours across the globe. Let's start with China, who launched four weather satellites aboard a Kuaizhou 1A carrier rocket from Juchuan Satellite Launch Center in the northwest of the country. China says that the satellites will be used to provide commercial meteorological data services— as part of the Tianmu one satellite constellation. And SpaceX set out in January with the ambitious plan to conduct 100 missions by the end of the year, and last night's Falcon 9 rocket launch from Vandenberg Space Force Base marked its 48th launch so far. It was a bit of an anticlimactic (laughs) launch thanks to the fog on the West Coast, but the rocket successfully transported another 15 Starlink satellites to orbit despite the cloud coverage. SpaceX has permission to loft 12,000 Starlink satellites and currently has about 4,500 in operation. They have applied for approval to deploy another 30,000 on top of that, though, so we expect the launch cadence to pick up to meet their goals. Earth observation company Planet IQ has been allocated a 59.6 million U.S. dollar contract to provide signal-to-noise ratio GNSS radio occultation data to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. The five-year contract was awarded under NOAA's IDIQ-2, Operational Delivery Order 2. Planet IQ will provide NOAA with commercial satellite data for weather forecasting and atmospheric research. The company's growing constellation of satellites are capable of profiling the thermodynamic state of the atmosphere with very high vertical resolution, precision, and accuracy in all weather conditions. This also provides them the unique ability to profile the water vapor down to the surface, 80% of which lies within one kilometer of the surface, and it fuels severe weather and flooding. And it wouldn't be a T-minus Daily News roundup without at least one brief mention of the U.S. military. And today, it seems that the theme of threats from adversaries in space continues to make headlines. General James Dickinson, who's commander of Spacecom, said at an Aspen security forum panel that the U.S. is ready to defend space assets. When speaking about China and Russia, General Dickinson said, quote, it's important to understand that we've got some competitors up there That are developing and demonstrating capabilities that should cause us a bit of concern. End quote. You can read more of his remarks in the National Defense Magazine article, which we've linked for you in our show notes. And now on to our favorite satellite acronym, Tropics, which is short for Brace Yourself, time-resolved observations of precipitation structure and storm intensity with a constellation of small sats. Whew. And T-minus covered the launch of these small hurricane hunters when they lifted off in New Zealand back in May. And it seems that they're growing up and now delivering their very first data. The microsatellites have collected their first view of hurricanes, offering scientists a new tool for understanding the inner workings of storms over shorter time spans. In late June, they monitored Hurricane Adrian as it developed near the west coast of Mexico before it steered away from land. And then came Beatriz, which developed into a tropical storm. Both observations provided important data, which NASA says will help scientists to better understand how storms will evolve. ASRC Federal has been awarded a five-year, $320 million contract to perform repairs, operations, maintenance, and engineering, and that is an acronym known as ROAM, at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. ASRC is tasked with keeping the launch facilities up to date and the lights on in the science labs so that NASA can focus on the critical mission of furthering science through space exploration. The contract begins on August 1st at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland and Wallops Flight Facility, including U.S. Naval Operations, on Wallops Island, Virginia. Luxembourg satellite company OQ Technology has signed a new technology memorandum of understanding with Saudi oil and gas company Aramco. Under the new agreement, OQ Technology will expand satellite IoT services and solutions for connecting Aramco's intelligent integrated node technology. The companies say that the agreement will create investment opportunities by converging automation and connectivity technologies, driving value creation in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And that concludes our daily Intel roundup. But as always, we've included further reading in our show notes, and we've even included an op-ed from Breaking Defense on the Pentagon's acquisition process in light of keeping up with adversaries in the new space race. You can find all that and more in the link section of our show notes at space.n2k.com. And hey, T-minus crew, if your business is looking to grow your voice in the industry, expand the reach of your thought leadership or recruit talent t-minus can help we'd like to hear from you send us an email at space at n2k.com or send us a note through our website and we can connect about building a program to meet your goals Our guest today is Robert Ayon, founder of Leviathan Space Industry, which is working to develop a space board in Ecuador for private commercial use. I was interested in asking Robert about his involvement in Ecuador's signing of the Artemis Accords, so I asked him to walk me through what the process was like to make that happen.
2: We started five years ago. My career was focusing in banking. And at the time when I, when, when I left that, I was trying to see what can we do with technology to help the productivity in Ecuador, to improve its competitiveness, you know, its economic development. And uh, because one of the things that you see in developing nations is they're always developing, but there's no end date about when that's going to happen. So I was trying to see what can we do with technology that can have a profound effect. And it's definitely so that space definitely touch every aspect of a local economy, you know, from agriculture, communications, education, manufacturing, uh, logistics. So then I said, okay, let, let's take advantage of this. Let's, looks like a great moment, you know, because the commercial sector is lifting and uh, the new players are gonna be definitely looking for people who can provide great services. You know? So this is a, an opportunity, maybe we can fit in into this space supply chain. So, as you know, Ecuador's geographic position, it's very unique. And I think it definitely offers something very meaningful to the market demands in case of access to communications, launches, you know, the biodiversity and attractiveness of Ecuador through its geography. It's something that it's uh, it can be very meaningful for the future. And starting now, we have to be ready for that. The first thing that we did, you know, was... Form the company Leviathan Space, thinking about the spaceport as the center. What can drive this in Ecuador? You know, having this ecosystem develop, and then we saw the need for institutional developments. That we needed the institutions to get the people involved, get a voice, get people excited about this. And that's what we decided to open up the Wayakil Space Society, so the young people would be able to to have that path of involvement of activism. And uh we reached out to the National Space Society, they uh, they approved a chapter for us. It was the first of Latin America that was available. So it was very excited for us to be able to generate events, invite astronauts to participate, like Craig Johnson uh, that came over to visit Ecuador and uh and then getting the universities involved with their students, you know. And through that, we definitely saw that we need to have a closer relationship to the space community. And, and the government needs to be very uh, involved. So we had been advocating uh, for the last two years uh, so we could have Artemis as something that we can aspire to. We were able to talk to different government officials uh, about the opportunities of Artemis. With that, we were able to to drive that conversation in, into a very important lobbying effort. We took a very educational approach of engaging Actors in the community, all the stakeholders, talking in this case to the universities, talking in this case to industry folks from the private sector, talking to the government officials in the Ministry of Transportation, the Ministry of Defense, the Ministry of Foreign Relations, and and trying to drive that message. The timing also helped us, I think, because Ecuador has been going through a lot of changes in the last couple of months, and now that was an opportunity to show a positive message something good, something that can definitely benefit the community. And I think that's what, when we had our conversation with uh, Minister of Foreign Relations, Gustavo Manrique, telling him about what it entailed to join ARMS and and what were the benefits for Ecuador in this case in the long term to be able to part of the community, drive the conversation, have a seat at the table, he was very excited. And uh, then I was able to tell him, well, you're gonna be going to to Washington next week to talk about the blue for the Galapagos and all the things. Let's try to put it on the agenda. And, and to my surprise, he said yes. So, so for us, it was very positive. So now we can definitely say that we're starting a path with Artemis that opens up a world of opportunities for for Ecuador. And that's I think the most important part of that. We want everybody to consider, you know, that you can be involved and that you can be a participant and you can lead. And, and I think that's so so important because what happens with our industries, you know, agriculture, bananas, shrimp, uh, coffee, uh, cocoa. In this case, rice, fresh flowers. How can they play a role in space, you know, to support the astronaut missions? How does the diverse ecosystem in Ecuador can kind of help maybe in astronaut training? Maybe we can have the NASA astronauts come down to Ecuador and participate and scale one of the volcanoes or go to the jungle or do scuba diving and, and do part of that. And last year, you know, Jared Isaacman for Inspiration4 and right now the Polaris mission, he brought the Polaris mission astronauts to train to Ecuador. So so def- definitely an opportunity for that to continue.
0: And all these fantastic examples of the different applications for space. And I'm so impressed and 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 I admire the work that you and your teams did to keep pushing through the points where often things will just kind of peter out, for lack of a better term, because that's that's where it gets really difficult. Um, and you made it sound so easy, but I know it was a multi-year process. <laughs> and I, I, I'm wondering if you have any advice for anyone else who may be in a similar situation as you, when, if they're trying to advocate for maybe their country joining the Artemis Accords or maybe just trying to get a space program running and running into the bureaucracy, the politics, that kind of thing. Like any any advice you would have for, for folks like that?
2: The, the most difficult part is always for the community that is not space savvy and they do not understand the benefits or the technology, how it impacts them. So that's the hardest part to do. And that's where we definitely need to be prepared to elaborate the right, uh, not only topics, but the right arguments to be able to show what it means for them and how they benefit and how it impacts them. Because everybody asks, and how much is this going to cost me? And how does that affect me? How much work does it's gonna put on my table? And, and, and that's where we have to drive the conversation about technology is going to help you, it's gonna drive you more competitive, you know, this is not gonna, in this case for the private sector, it's not gonna cost you anything right now. But what it does is opens up technology opportunity for research, opportunity for collaboration, opportunity for branding your products. And I think that's really important for them to start making a click,
0: absolutely. Making things relevant is always the the, the key challenge there. In your view, uh what what's next for Ecuador in terms of space there's a, There's a lot of different interesting programs. I know Leviathan space, your your company is is certainly part of that. Can you give us a sense of, of what like what's next?
2: So we definitely think that it's important to have everybody ready and and, and but the question is, what does that mean? So we reached out and uh, we formed a great relationship with the Mallow Space Science Institute from Arizona State University, And they develop a program for NASA for workforce development. So now they're working with local universities to implement programs. One that is going to be focused on the moon and space and one that is going to be focused on earth observation. Because that's what Ecuador needs in this case. How do you monitor the forest? How do you monitor the crops? How do you balance the environment with the development of the cities? And that's a lot of data and information that that needs to be captured, processed, analyzed, interpreted, and then make the final decisions. So that's a big hole in this new development is, great, we have the technologies, but who's going to use it? And how that's going to drive benefit for the business leaders or government officials. So that's really exciting for us right now that, Milo was able to sign an agreement with the American Chamber of Commerce, uh, with the Universidad San Francisco de Quito, with the SPOL University, Universidad de SEDIA, Universidad Tecnica Particular de Loja, and we're going to have a visit from the Space Foundation because the Space Foundation, they have a very great program for STEM education for primary and secondary. So what we like to do is develop this pipeline you know, from all the young students getting excited early on about what space and science can do for them. And that's what we want to show the, 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 the young people here in Ecuador that, you know, you have to be ready because the world is changing. You're not going to only compete in your local neighborhood, in your local city, in your country. You're competing against billions of people around the world for, for what, what is happening right now. And the local companies also need to be aware of these high, rapid changes in technology about how they can leverage that to their benefit, and that's how how we're starting and how we're promoting because we definitely want to emphasize the use of research, patience. You know how we can go ahead and apply that for our crops, for diseases, like in the case of the banana plants. There's a lot of fungus that definitely uh, provide a lot of harm. So there's a lot of opportunities there to see because in space, you know, it's such a wonderful laboratory to do science because the conditions cannot be replicated on Earth. And you can learn so much there. And then the goal of having this space for network, which is to provide a place for Latin America to have space access. And I think this is really relevant because this definitely could be the most important project for the region in the next hundred years. Because Imagine what it would mean for Latin America to have access to space in a meaningful way, commercial, private actors participating, driving this growth, and then thinking what would happen in 100 years if we did not have that. How the local dynamics of the whole region can change. And, And one of the examples that I started thinking of is what would happen, for example, to our city in Guayaquil. Guayaquil is a big dynamic trading spot where the port system has allowed it to develop through history, you know, connections to trade across the region, and that allowed the banana sector to develop, the shrimp sector to develop, cocoa, and another food export that drives great part of the 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 export economy. If we wouldn't have a seaport, then we wouldn't be able to develop those industries, and and I think that same applies to a spaceport concept. Is what that infrastructure will allow the new generation of entrepreneurs to come up with this. But if they do not have the infrastructure, they won't be able to, to leverage that for their success.
0: We'll be right back. Did you know that 54 years ago, Apollo 11 landed first men on the moon? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I know you knew that. So for today's closer, I wanted to give a shout-out to two of my favorite projects about the Apollo 11 moon landing. They both let you relive the entire Apollo 11 mission from beginning to end, the whole experience, in real time. For those of us who weren't alive then, or just weren't there, or weren't paying attention, until someone invents a time machine anyway— These projects give you such a great sense of the Apollo 11 mission, the chatter, the mission minutiae, and how long everything really took. If you only go to one website today, it should be apolloinrealtime.org. It features Apollo 11, 13, and 17 missions, but I mean, I'm listening to Apollo 11 today. Every bit of text and audio-visual data related to this mission replays for you in sync in real time and a very context-rich display. And of course, you can replay any and all of it whenever you want in case you happen to miss it. The website is a massive undertaking by Ben Feist, who works on data visualization and informatics software at NASA, and it's really excellent work, so kudos to Ben. And if you want kind of a TLDR version of the Apollo 11 mission as a play-by-play, you can get one on Twitter. There's a neat project by the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum on Twitter called Relive Apollo 11. And yeah, that's the Twitter username also, at Relive Apollo 11. In 180 characters or so, you're getting updates on the Apollo 11 mission on your timeline, just like as if NASA's Twitter account had actually existed in 1969. Man, can you imagine if it did? And that's it for T-Minus for July 20th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.